Well, guys, hey, if you have your Bibles with me, turn to Luke 7, 11 through 17. Luke 7, 11 through 17, and we're going to read about uh, the widow who lost her son. Luke 7, 11 through 17, if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. If you don't, listen to the word of the Lord. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole country of Judea and all the surrounding country. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to to speak the truth. Uh, We open ears and uh, hearts, and we are Holy Spirit to allow it to be receptive tonight. Um, Had any flaws that I might have. And though there are many, um, may your word be delivered faithfully tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, I've spent the last few days trying to immerse myself in the bad of the world in order to prepare for this lesson. And I know that might sound a little bit unorthodox, but I felt it necessary to do that to be able to handle this type of lesson about a widow who lost her son. Now, I try to find those things that uh, that are going on in pop culture and in the life of Germantown that could be or were really painful for people. And I know that uh, sounds depressing, and it was depressing for the last couple of days. Um, but I thought it was necessary. And this journey, for me at least, a journey of depression, started, um, it started when I thought about Katy Perry's mother and father. Y'all know who Katy Perry is, right? Katy Perry? Your kids do, if you have kids. Uh, she has the number one song out right now entitled, I Kissed a Girl. Um, essentially, it's about her homosexual experience and how it's no big deal and how she likes the taste of that cherry chapstick that's not her own. And um, I wouldn't have thought much about that song, really, but I found out her background. You see, Katy Perry used to be Katie Hudson. And in 2001, she made a Christian CD, and that makes sense and all because her parents were pastors of churches. Think about, just for a moment, the pain that they must be feeling every time they hear that song come on the radio. Or, or watch that video of her rolling around with all the girls. I can't imagine. Last night, I was watching uh, America's Got Talent. I don't know if you guys watch that show. But, but I watch it on Tuesday nights, and um, it's just one big talent contest. And there was one act that broke my heart, and it, it wasn't necessarily um, because she was terrible or anything like that. And there's plenty of terrible acts on that show. But um, it was the interview. It was a 24-year-old girl who was giving an interview before she took the stage. And the entire interview was about her and her father, who was a Christian music leader at a, at a church. And he was the dad who motivated her, his daughter and, and taught her everything that she knew And then the mood shifted when she began to cry because her father had walked out on her family. And throughout the entire process of her singing and standing in front of the judges, you could see her torment. Even Ozzy Osbourne's wife, Sharon Osbourne, who's a judge on the show, could see the pain to the point that she asked about it. 
Last night, uh, I tried to understand what a mother was feeling when she found out that her baby had been launched from an inflatable pillow by the 16-year-old babysitter. I don't know if you saw that one on the news. Maybe you did. You know, this jerk of a 16-year-old put an eight-month-old baby on this inflatable pillow and, um, and jumped on the other side of it in order to launch the baby to the other side of the room. And, and of course, he put it on YouTube for the world to see. And I can't imagine the anger those parents must have felt thinking about what else that sick boy must have done to their child. We have a family member right now who's in the ICU because he's made a life time of bad decisions. And I'm not the closest person to this guy, but I can see the angst on his son's face and and the rest of the family involved. I've seen the same type of hurt when I was talking to a mother and father just recently about their, their child who was going in that downward spiral of drugs and alcohol and, and sexual activity. I don't know if you knew this, but every week the staff, we get a copy of all the prayer requests around the church, and we get to see all the cancers and the, the job losses and the hurts of the church, and I can only imagine the, the toll that that takes on a, on a family. And I don't know if you knew this one or not, but this was on the prayer request list. Um, there were two of our junior high boys um, this year while at Fall Creek Falls, their summer camp, who received word that their father had, had suddenly passed away. Can you, have, can you even imagine the punch to the gut as a 12-year-old? And I was at Pickwick this past weekend with our senior high students, and one of the houses that we stay at is David and Molly Shea's house, and they're still dealing with the punch to the gut of, of, their, of their eldest son who, who died in the car crash. Are you depressed yet? Brothers and sisters, that's what we see in our text tonight. Um, we see a woman in a massive amount of pain. She was a widow, and her only son had died. And I want you to know that I want you to know that I had trouble with the text tonight, really. Um, several things were throwing up huge blocks for me. For one, it was my pride. Uh, Jeff Sample, he assigned me this text, and as I, as I looked at it, I didn't see anything real tricky or, or hidden. And pride for me, since I'm in front of the adults once a year, you know, I wanted, I wanted something weird and different to sort of be able to bring out and impress the adults with and everything. But the, the text doesn't allow it. It's not a tricky text at all. The, the second roadblock was a lot of the people that I, I was reading, the commentators. All they were concentrating on was the death of this man, the distress of the woman over the death of her son, and how Christ conquered death. That was a roadblock for me because in pure application, I know that some of you are dealing with recent deaths. I understand that, but, but not all of you. I mean, not the, not, probably not the majority of you. And so to get over those roadblocks, I believe that the Holy Spirit reminded me of something. He reminded me of what death really is. On physical terms, death is the ultimate product of the fall. On physical terms, not spiritual so much physical. On physical terms, death is the ultimate product of the fall. Because sin entered the world through one man, Adam, man fell and has experienced the effects of sin even to the ultimate point of death. The death of the widow's son wasn't the way it was supposed to be. But I have to say, neither is the pain of a father leaving his family. It's not the way it was supposed to be. Neither is the frustration of losing your job. 
or the hurt that your children have caused you through their constant rebellion, that's not the way it was intended. Family members should not be fighting with one another, and we should not be feeling the torturous stress of a bad economy right now. But the fact is, we're all like the widow as we experience the effects of the fall. And if you're like me, and if you watch the news or just notice what's going on around you, if you've listened to the text tonight, if you just live life, you're, you run into and see situations that seem absolutely hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. He said, I, I, I don't know what to do. But when things in our life seem this way, we must remember that there is one who is in the business of pushing back the curse of the fall. Understand that as we begin our, our, our lesson tonight. There is one in the business of pushing back the curse of the fall. Again, that's what we see in our text tonight. Let me do a little explaining on what's going on, and then I'm going to bring out some application for you. Jesus, he was in Capernaum and at the beginning of chapter 7, and we see him heal the centurion's servant. And he makes the statement, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. This was because the Zetirian went to Jesus humbly and knowing that he could heal his servant with just a word. And then we pick up on our text tonight and we see something totally different. Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd are walking in a town called Nain, which is about 25 miles from Capernaum. And as Jesus and the crowd are entering the city, a funeral procession is coming out. And as you might expect, the funerals back in that day were very different than the funerals we have today. For one, they walk. They walk. And out of respect, many people in the town would join together and walk beside the body, uh, walk the body outside the city gates into a tomb or a cave somewhere to be buried because back in that day, the dead body was considered extremely unclean, so they, they took him out there. Also, the dead wouldn't be in a maple casket all locked up. The family would put him on what the text calls a buyer, and a buyer is simply just a wicker platform that men could carry and that the bearers could carry. And so the body was out for people to see. Of course, wrapped up in a shroud, but usually they had the face exposed. Oh, yeah. And instead of cars driving with headlights on, of course, the women of the town, the women who were ultra-involved, they would lead the procession. Um, and, and they would lead, they would lead the rest of the crowd, you know, with the, with the dead, the person who's passed behind them on the buyer. And, and it wasn't a quiet event. Uh, there was heavy weeping going on. So I hope you understand the kind of a picture of what's taking place of the people coming out. You know, Jesus and the crowd are coming into the city gates and the funeral procession is going out, led by the mother who was weeping over the loss of her son. And this woman had something to weep about. It wasn't she was just weeping because everybody else. This woman, if anybody, had something to weep about. The Holy Spirit, you see, guys, sees fit to use specific words to describe things and people. And that's for a reason. For example, this woman was described as a widow. And this was her only son who had died. Now, please understand how important this is because in today's culture, we don't understand how hopeless this must have been. Yes, she experienced one of the biggest effects of the fall, which is death. She experienced that because of her son. But she also experienced an extreme amount of hopelessness. Because in that culture, a woman, especially an older woman, dependent on her husband for financial income. But she was a widow. 
Therefore, it was natural for her to depend on her children. She would take part in, let's say, the domestic duties of the household with the other wives, uh, you know, the wife or whatever. And, you know, the, the son would take care of the financial aspects of things. But this widow had only one son, and now he's gone. And there's not Social Security. There's no welfare. Now she's at the mercies of the people in the town. And I say that to emphasize the point that this woman's world is completely rocked. She's at the point of desperation, and she has very good reason to weep. But let's not even for a minute think that the hopeless widow is the main character of the story. Let's not dwell on her for too long, because there's someone else on the scene, and his name is Jesus Christ. As the weeping widow was leaving the funeral out, he was coming in. And we see in verse 13, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Many commentators will kind of stop at this one sentence and talk about his compassionate words. But I have a bit of a problem when they stop there. Just because Jesus is compassionately telling the woman, Hey, don't weep. Weep no more. That doesn't necessarily help her current situation. You know, you know, her son is still laying there dead, and she is going to be destitute. She's probably going to have to start begging for money. She's devastated. Everything is hopeless. And some of you might understand this to a degree. Uh, an example. Uh, you know, say you find yourself jobless for a while, and, and, and you meet Fred Smith, Mr. FedEx at a grocery store somewhere, and, and you tell him of your current situation. And he puts his hand on your shoulder and he says compassionately, cheer up, it's going to be okay. And then he walks his merry way with his shopping cart full of ribeyes and you're looking at your $2 package of deli meat right in front of you. And at that moment, his words just didn't cut it. His compassionate words, they're nice, but it just wasn't all that helpful. Compassionate words weren't enough for this situation with the widow. And so we see in verse 14, Jesus walks up to the unclean, dead body, touches the buyer on which it, he laid, and said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And from his words, life was spoken into this young man, and he sat up and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus sees the effect that the fall had on the son who was laying there. And he sees the effect that it had on the mother who was weeping. And so he pushes back the fall by raising her son. And I don't know what Christ was exactly thinking at that moment, but I could imagine it being something like the prophet Isaiah in 25.8 when he says, He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. And the Lord has spoken. I don't know, maybe he was thinking something like that. Or, or maybe he was thinking what Paul was asking in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Notice, you guys, the main character to this narrative, Jesus Christ, he brought hope to a hopeless situation by pushing back the effect of the fall. Some of you need to hear that tonight because the situation that you're in right now seems hopeless and it has brought you many, many, many nights of weeping. It might not be death that you're necessarily dealing with. It might be. But it could be any of those things that I mentioned earlier. It could be the thousands of other things that I can't even begin to imagine. 
And you need to hear that there's one who can bring you some sort of hope by pushing back the effects that sin has caused. And if that's you, you're in luck because that's what this whole story is about tonight. It's about Jesus Christ showing up to defeat sin. Now, with that said, let's take a look at what happened. First, we see Christ push back the fall out of compassion. We see His compassion. In our text, we see that Christ has compassion on the widow. Guys, know that we here at Grace Evan, we believe in the sovereignty of God. And we believe that God isn't a frustrated God and nothing that happens in this world rattles God in the least bit. We believe that He finds pleasure and we find, He finds happiness in His sovereignty and that even applies to the things that we find unpleasant. And that's just the truth. But know this truth as well. On a more personal level and on, on a more acute scale, God hates what sin has done to His people and He has deep compassion for those who hurt. Please get that point. God hates what sin has done to His people and He has a deep, deep, deep compassion for those who hurt. The best illustration that I could find was another story in the Bible of Jesus raising someone from the dead and His name is Lazarus. I remember not too long ago when I was asked to do the funeral for Elaine's uncle. Um, I, that was the text that I used. And I wanted to do a good job, obviously, uh, for the family. So I studied everything about those verses in John 11. And through that study, I learned a lot about the compassion of Jesus Christ. I think most of you have heard the text, or at least you've heard the story before. But Lazarus has died, and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were distraught. They were devastated, maybe for the same reasons why... This widow was devastated. And beginning in verse 32, it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And if you keep reading, you're going to see how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, when I study this text, I really study those words, deeply moved, because it says it twice. And what I learned was that Jesus wasn't just deeply moved, but Jesus was angry at what the fall had done. He was mad about it, not necessarily what it had done to Lazarus, but Mary and Martha. Lazarus was fine, but Mary and Martha were struggling, and Jesus hated that. He obviously didn't weep over Lazarus being in paradise. He wept because he saw what was going on in the life of Mary and Martha. And again, I'm fully aware of God's sovereignty and His discipline, and His sanctification, all those things I really love to teach about. I'm aware of that, but there's still the truth that when God's people hurt, then there's a great deal of compassion extended. And when that compassion turns into His actions, I don't have the foggiest idea. I don't know when that compassion turns into God restoring someone. I I don't know when He's going to choose to do that. But one of the things that I want you to hear tonight is that Christ sees you weeping. He sees it. And He has not forgotten about you. Late at night, on your pillow, 
in the bathroom when you lock yourself in so your kids can't see you. When he sees you weeping, he hasn't forgotten about you. James in chapter 5, 10 through 11 writes, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Lord is compassionate. And it is out of that compassion that He will bring you hope by pushing back the effects of the fall that you're experiencing, whether that's today, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's next week, next month, next year, or at the end of your life. I have no idea. But we know that He is a compassionate God. Don't for a second doubt that. The next thing that we must know about Christ pushing back the fall is that it's for His glory. Um, In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, famous question number one is, what is the chief in a man? And of course the answer is, the chief in a man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We would all agree with this. Everything that we do in life is to bring God glory. If you don't agree with that, read 1 Corinthians 10.31 and we'll talk later. When, when I think of Grace Evans' um, mission trips to India or Central America or wherever you might go, when I think of the mission work of Hudson Taylor or Mother Teresa, these are examples of things done in order to serve others and chiefly glorify God. That's the goal. Right? But just as the chief in the man is to glorify God because anything other than that would be idolatry, we would agree, then the chief end of God is to glorify Himself. God's ultimate purpose is to glorify Himself. Not to you, but Himself. If this isn't accomplished, and His goal was to glorify something or somebody else, then that something or someone will be placed at a higher level than God, thus making Him or it God. And that can't happen. So God's ultimate purpose has to be to glorify Himself. There's your little theological nugget for the night. Um, I say it for a reason, though. Not just to, to bring in doctrine. It's for an important reason. Too many times we read stories like this one of the widow, and we walk away thinking that the main point is Jesus raising the dead, or Him healing the paralytic, or some other miracle. And that's just not it. The main point is that Jesus is glorifying Himself by being a remedy to the curse of the fall. And it's not primarily for the widow's sake. That's a bonus. That's a byproduct. It's to show the people that He is God in flesh. Do you see that? He's doing something that only God can do. He defeats the worst physical product of the fall, which is death. He defeats it. He shows His godly power. He shows His deity. And that is to His glory. Christ does this, He does have compassion, but ultimately it's for His glory. So we know that He pushes the back, the fall, out of compassion. We know that. We know also that it's for His glory. But we can't neglect seeing that His pushing this curse of sin back is also a foreshadowing of things to come. When we read a text like this, we can't just take it at face value. I think too many times we read the Gospels and everything is real surfacey face value. Oh, isn't that sweet? Um, The paralytic is a bunch of friendship. That's not it. We can't read it at face value. Yes, there is compassion of Christ present, but this means something even greater and even more hopeful. John Calvin writes, This young man whom Christ raised from the dead 
is an emblem of the spiritual life which He restores to us. You know, if you take the story and you look at it through a more of a spiritual and salvific lens, there's a lot to it. For example, in the story we see deadness. You know, the guy's dead. Ephesians 2.1, ladies and gentlemen. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. We also see unmerited mercy toward the widow. This woman never asked Jesus to raise her son. She didn't pay him. She didn't beg him. She didn't do a little dance for him. She didn't do anything to coerce him to, to show her his mercy. But out of his good pleasure, he restored him to his mother. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says something. It says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast about it. Lastly, we know that Christ spoke the word, and this man had life. From his word, he spoke the word, and this man had life. Ezekiel 37, 4 and 5 says, Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. The worst physical effect of the fall is physical death like the widow experienced with her son. But the worst effect overall, the biggest, baddest thing that can happen to us overall is the separation from God and spiritual death. And as Christ brought glory unto Himself by raising that young man from the dead, He also foreshadowed the glory that He would receive when He Himself would raise from the dead, defeating the curse of the fall once and for all. If you get nothing else tonight, please get that one. I'll read it again. As Christ brought glory unto Himself by raising that young man from the dead, He also foreshadowed the glory that He would receive when He Himself would raise from the dead defeating the curse once and for all. That is the glorious truth that should ultimately dry our eyes. It should cause us to weep no more because we know that there is something better for us in the future that we can look forward to. So brother and sister, I don't know the heartbreak that you're experiencing right now. I'm not, I'm not pompous enough to say that I do. I've yet to have somebody really close to me, other than my grandfather, pass away. The worst that my four-year-old does is sass me back every now and then. I have a stable job. I hope. I, I, I can't, I'm not pretending that I know what you're going through, but I know. I know there's pain. You might have lost a loved one recently and you might be able to really identify with this text. I don't know. Your family might be a wreck. You might be a wreck. I don't have a clue what you're going through, but there's one who does. And ultimately, he has won the battle of good versus evil while on that cross, so cling to that hope. But no one should be naive enough to think that everything in life is going to be roses. Some sort of tragedy will come your way because we live in a fallen world, period. But there's hope. A day is coming when all the injustices and pain and the hassles of life will come to an end. And Jesus will say to us, weep no more.
Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for um, the, the promise that you gave us that one day we won't weep any longer. And um, we don't know when that's going to be, whether uh, it's going to be tonight, um, next year, or when we die and we come see you. But Lord, we cling to your promises. And thank you that ultimately, because of the work that you did on the cross and, and the resurrection from the dead, we have life in you. And because of that life in you, we surely can dry our eyes. Because ultimately, um, we have an imperishable gift, Lord. And we want to thank you and praise you for that. Lord, for any of those in here tonight um, whose life is a little turned upside down, uh, who do find themselves weeping over what the, the fall has done to them, uh, Lord, will you, um, will you put your arms around them and show them that you are present and that you haven't forgotten about them? Father, I thank you for uh, your grace and your mercy that it is unmerited. We haven't deserved it, but you've seen fit to give it to us, and we praise you for that. So as we go to work tomorrow and our families, um, may we dwell on these things. And because we know them now, may we live a life more pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.